0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Well, can we believe it? Uh, Advent is here already. I mean, it seems like uh, Thanksgiving came quickly enough, and we know that uh, Advent begins today, so this is our liturgical new year, if you will. And this is where we go through that same uh, liturgical cycle, uh, very much what I call a, a circle of, of life, spiritually. It gives us that, the, that rhythm. And, and, that, and today, we're a- absolutely going to, to focus on Advent because it does begin as the first Sunday of the liturgical calendar. And right now, this is our second anniversary of us meeting together as a parish here in this beautiful chapel. And we experienced the Lord's blessing on this mission throughout a a very tough season. I mean, it was tough enough to be the only church that launched successfully during a pandemic. uh, But we actually had to learn a lot of new lessons, not the least of which uh, how to love one another, how to. Um, cope with maybe some of the the, the differences that, that we may have had about even whether it's the response to the pandemic or even one's political outlook. And the one thing I'll say about all of that is we, we check that at the door and we focus on loving one another um, as as the way, as the way and being kind to one another, the bicota way, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God and Christ also forgave you, as we read in Ephesians 4.32. And how that looks uh, in our various households will vary. And yet I think we would all agree that, uh, like I said during the announcements, we had much to be thankful for on Thanksgiving Day. And this this green season of Trinity is behind us. And the Advent is upon us, which is signified by the penitential color of purple, which I'm wearing today, unless we, we want to call it violet. I've heard it referred to that way, violet, purple, whatever. So what is Advent? Well, the Latin roots actually means coming. Earlier Christians going back to at least the 4th century spoke of the advent of our Lord and celebrating the incarnation of God with us in Christ Jesus. And also uh, looking forward to his second advent when he will return one day to judge both the quick and the dead as we recite in the creeds each time we meet for worship whether it's in holy communion or even during the prayer offices and on the one hand we also prepare for the celebration of the first advent uh, which we celebrate on the nativity of our lord in christmas time and that's when we will see all of the candles lit not just this one and as families we, we may celebrate Christmas according to each of our respective generations that, that go back uh, uh, down uh, you know, back in the history of our family, many of our family traditions. And as our children eagerly await, it's certainly a lot of fun when we have, have young children. And now uh, as my children get older and, and they're teenagers now, they seem to want more expensive toys, but that's the way it goes. But, I, but yet I'm trying to teach them that uh, they should be thankful for what they received, but actually look uh, to Jesus Christ as being the greatest gift uh, and who also has given us the gift of eternal life. But on the other hand, we also during the season anticipate the second advent as a season of waiting, and as a season of anticipation. And about this first Sunday in Advent, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his work, God is in the Manger, Reflections on Advent and Christmas. And I quote, It is still not Christmas, but it's also still not the great last Advent, the last coming of Christ. Through all of the Advents of our life that we celebrate, runs the longing for the last advent when the world when when the word will see or will be see I am making all things new as we as Jesus said in Revelation 21 verse 5 the advent season is a season of waiting but our whole life is an advent season that is a season of waiting for the last advent for the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that reminds us all that we must be ready, whether we meet him at his appearing, uh, the parousia, as it's also known, known as, or whether we meet him in the hour of our death, whichever comes first. We must always be ready. Today, the collect we pray, we will continually pray throughout the season, which is on page 90 of your prayer book, includes three aspects. Number one. Casting away the work of works of darkness, also putting on the armor of life and knowing the time of this mortal life. And it's very important because as we also know this to be a Lenten color, we know that Advent is also a what we call a, a minor penitential season, but a major season nonetheless. Uh, So so that said, let's go ahead and go to our, our prayer book on page 90. If you're following along, our text for today is Romans chapter 13. So we will begin with verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. owed. So this passage, as it begins, it contextualizes today's epistle, submission to governing authorities. And about taxation, St. Paul described uh, the types. Uh, We have one type, which is tribute for protection, Another is submission, which included customs, what we call indirect taxes, tolls, duties, and what we would call a sales tax. And Jesus taught that paying taxes was the right thing to do in St. Luke chapter 20, verse 25. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. What is the point? The point being, as Christians, we are to meet our lawful financial obligations. We pay what is owed. And then we read in Romans 13, verse 8 owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. To isolate this verse out of context as a proof text against any form of debt does exceed the limits of the text. Jesus said, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. We read that in St. Matthew chapter 5, verse 42. Borrowing and lending is not the main point of the passage. But however, if we do borrow, we pay it back. And we also must be willing to lend to those in need. St. Paul's main point in this text is there is only one thing which you must do and that is to love one another. So we owe no one anything except what we owe them, which is to love one another. And what is love? Well, you've heard me say it before. And when I say that I love bacon or steak, that is not the same thing as saying that I love my wife or my children. In this text, love or agapao is to have a warm regard for and interest in another, to cherish in a selfless way, what we call selfless love that does not include a self-serving agenda. And how we love one another matters, especially in the context of our mission. It matters in this parish, it matters in our homes, and it certainly matters in the way that that we interact with this world. Because if we actually love one another in a Christ-like way, then that will look attractive To a world which sees anything but love these days. And if you remember correctly, Jesus said in St. John chapter 13, verses 33 through 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is a witness to the world around us that proclaims that we are in fact his disciples. St. Chrysostom wrote, love is a debt which you owe to your brother because of your spiritual relationship to him. If love departs from us, the whole body's torn into pieces. Love holds the body together, and when visitors observe that agape love among us, it makes an impression, makes them feel welcome, where they are more likely to return. And that's what they want because I've visited churches before where I didn't feel very welcome. Couldn't really put my finger on the pulse as to why, but but it's pretty obvious when you walk into any kind of a church situation when you can see the agape love amidst the brethren. Let's move on to verse nine of Romans chapter 13. For the commandments... You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. St. Paul referred to the Decalogue, which underscores our duty to both God and our neighbor. In our prayer books, we find them in three places. That's in our order for Holy Communion the first office of instruction and a catechism, page 578 of the prayer book. And note how the first four commandments address our duty to God. The latter addresses our duty to our parents and our duty to others. And all of it is summed up in you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we of course read this in the summary of the law on page 69, which we recite most weeks except the first week. And that's taken from St. Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, which Jesus cited as law from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Let's move on to verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And we see more application of Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 18, as the moral law. And that also includes in verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, uh, for I am the Lord. And certainly in our prayer books on page 604, as, as it discusses the moral law, we see that even though the ceremonial law and the civil law has been fulfilled, nailed at the cross, we know that the moral law is still binding to us today because that is the measure of our standard uh, and that, that is the measure of righteousness. Let's read on picking up in verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when, when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Saint Paul called us to be alert. In contrast, being a sleepyhead denotes ignoring the reality that we exist between two advents. Because there are a lot of people, it seems, especially since COVID tide began, and it just seems like it hasn't ended yet. That, that people have almost been a, in a state of slumber about spiritual things. And, you know, how many people, it seems, uh, completely dropped out of corporate worship altogether. And I've seen that in various denominations. So I'll reiterate, I'm, I'm very proud of our parish because we all came back and we just kept motoring through it, you know, in the power of the Holy Spirit. But, but there are many people who are spiritually asleep. And that is not a safe place to be because then we're ignoring the reality that exists between the two advents. Salvation is nearer to us than we believed. And that is an accomplished fact, as we read in Ephesians 2, verse 8. We're saved by grace through faith, not that of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But it's also a continuing fact, as we read in 1 Corinthians. St. Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And lastly, it's also a future fact as we read in Philippians chapter three, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly await for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform the body of our humble state into a conformity with with the body of his glory By the exertion of of the power that he has even subjected all things to himself. In other words, we have been saved, we're being saved, we will be saved. And in his book, Joyful Christian, C.S. Lewis wrote Humans are amphibians, half spirit and half animal. As spirits, they belong to the eternal world, but as animals, they inhabit time. Time flies faster and faster as we grow older and reminds us of our true citizenship. As the Latin phrase goes, tempest fugit, time flies. So the one thing that the gospel gives us hope is in this. This gives us hope in the already as we anticipate the not yet. And where the apostle wrote, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He addressed Christians, believers with a past, to call them to holiness as those who walk in the light, as Jesus said in St. John's Gospel. Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Romans chapter 13, verse 14, we pick up and we read in our epistle today but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And you know, this is a sober warning because this is something that we're going to struggle with and continue to struggle with certain besetting sins, certain aspects of of the flesh that maybe we hadn't had not got over since our redemption, or at least uh, when we've had a conscious awareness of the work that the Lord did in us. So this is a sober warning for us to all walk in a manner that is consistent with the righteousness of Christ that clothes us in the power of the Holy Spirit. For we can't do it in our own strength. And like I have said before, when we sin, we sin in our thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes. So if we were to calculate how many times we sin in any given day, in any given moment, then we absolutely all must agree that we need the gospel. We need Jesus. We desperately need a Savior. In Romans uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14, we read, So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. You see, beloved, since we are under grace, let us walk in grace. In the power of the Holy Spirit, he is the one who has enlivened us to believe. He drew us to Christ in faith. He sanctifies us and he prepares us for that second advent. Until then, as St. Paul wrote, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ as we read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. So therefore, beloved, let us, uh, during the season of Advent, as Advent kicks off today, let us live lives of expectancy, lives of anticipation, celebrating the already. Christ came in the first Advent, but also while anticipating the not yet, his return, the second Advent. He is going to return in the same way that he went up during ascension. And we must be ready, however he greets us, whether it's in the parousia, his appearing at the second coming, or the veil of our death. So as we begin in grace, let us continue in grace, and let us truly love one another in a way that is contagious to the world around us, and invite them to join us here in this place at St. Benedict Anglican Church in sacramental community. And let us put on the armor of light and walk in the light, empowered in the Holy Spirit and bearing the fruit that remains until the Lord Jesus Christ comes to make all things new. Because he promised that that's what he will do. Amen. And we say this in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.